listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. We're your hosts today, Jessica and Caroline, and today we're going to take a virtual field trip to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Jess, I've actually had the opportunity to spend lots of time in Oklahoma, and while I'm still sad our Sonics moved to Oklahoma City, I've learned to appreciate Tulsa's iconic Coney Islander hot dogs. Yeah, Oklahoma is certainly a touchy subject for any NBA fans in Seattle. Yep. But today we're actually going to focus on Tulsa's vibrant education community. In 1998, Oklahoma passed a law providing free access to pre-kindergarten. Since then, families in Tulsa have benefited from leading-edge programs supported by the George Kaiser Family Foundation and the Shoe Family Foundation. Improvement and talent development efforts are coordinated by Impact Tulsa, a regional nonprofit. On a recent visit to Tulsa, Tom spoke with Cassie Siebold and Jessica Smith from Impact Tulsa. Dr. Siebold is executive director and Jessica directs early learning efforts. Also joining the conversation was Sophia Pappas, who led early learning in New York City before joining the Kaiser Family Foundation to advance early learning in Tulsa. The three experts discuss the importance of expanding access to programs and ongoing efforts to improve quality, including building the capacity of early learning teachers. Caroline, I know this one hits home with both of us since we have two-year-olds at home. Um, And I know you and I have both started researching local preschools and the different options out there. Let's listen in to learn more about early learning in Tulsa. Impact Tulsa is a member of the Strive Network, so you're a a collective impact organization. You try to get everybody in Tulsa heading in the right direction, same direction, around the same goals. Yeah, absolutely. We've been a network member for four years um, with uh, Strive Together. We work, uh, we actually just measure and follow uh, six touch points across the continuum of education, kindergarten readiness, third grade reading, eighth grade math, high school completion, post-secondary entry, and post-secondary completion. So we do a community uh, report annually that just helps the community understand where do we stand on those touch points. These these touch points are not everything um, in education, but it is a time to stop, pause, and look at where we are, uh, make corrections if we uh, need to move forward, and celebrate the bright spots that are happening in those areas. There's definitely a lot of work that happens in between them, um, which is you know some of the the things that we'll talk about today with early childhood um, education and how that impacts the rest of the continuum. Um, so um, we also cross sectors. So we have civic leaders as a part of our organization um, structure. We have um, business leaders. We have nonprofits um, all working together across that continuum. And Jessica, you direct the early learning at Impact Tulsa? Yes, I'm Jessica Smith, the director of early learning at Impact Tulsa. So what do you do? Um, what? what uh, how do you see your role as um, at Impact Tulsa? So I'm one of the first people to be hired in a focus area at Impact Tulsa. We are growing, and as this is our fourth year as an organization, and my role um, is ever evolving. <laughs> I would say we uh, are working on several different initiatives through um, through our partnership with. Best, the birth rate strategy for Tulsa, as well as um, working with different school districts and kind of zeroing in on some collective impact work in some different focus areas, pre-K enrollment being one, kindergarten readiness being one, 
um, continuous improvement being a really big part of what, the work that we are doing moving forward in different areas. And then we are working with um, a school district and multiple school districts on attendance, increasing attendance and reducing chronic absenteeism. So it was 20 years ago, I think, that Oklahoma became one of the first states to uh, offer free preschool for all four-year-olds. How did that happen? I feel like one of the things that aligned um, really for Oklahoma and in particular um, in the Tulsa area is um, a group of people who actually have a passion for understanding and, and, and really pushing forward that early childhood is important to the entire continuum. You, you have to start there um, to move the other numbers, uh, third grade reading, eighth grade math and so forth. Um, and that was adopted pretty readily through a lot of really influential people like like uh, George Kaiser, like Stephen Dow, um, and civic leaders. We had um, civic leaders at the time, too, who saw the value in that. And they started with the data. So it was pretty early on in, in some of the research around that, brain research and so forth, but um, definitely wanted to take the opportunity to get ahead of um everyone else in the nation and, and did a really good job of, of doing that. There's still a lot of work to do, um, but we're really proud that that we saw that as an opportunity to help help kids and families. It, it was a really remarkable thing 20 years ago for a Western state, you know, with uh, less money for kids and family funding to make that sort of commitment. So yeah, that's a it's a um, it's that history of commitment to early learning that really uh, made me interested in exploring early learning in, in Tulsa. Uh, Sophia, you're new to Tulsa. How'd you get here? Well, I'm new to Tulsa, but I'm not new to early childhood education. Uh, and right, you've had uh, <laughs> big jobs in early learning. Yeah, and I would say that, um, the biggest one for me in terms of the impact on my career was when I was a pre-K teacher in Newark, New Jersey. Um, I was a, a Teach for America Corps member, and that experience solidified the importance of high-quality pre-K for giving all kids um, an opportunity to succeed and after that, you know, going on to work in advocacy and professional development, eventually policymaking at the New York City Department of Education, um, continued to uh, sort of expand my opportunity to have an impact on a greater number of children. And I will say, even from New York, uh, I heard a lot about what was going on in Tulsa and in Oklahoma. At one point in New York, we were considering bringing an Educare in or something like it. So we definitely look to Tulsa as a place where big things happen um, for our littlest learners. And um, so... When I was considering next steps um, after running New York City's early childhood uh, division in the Department of Ed, uh, one of the places that um, came on my radar and seemed uh, very appealing was Tulsa. Um, and so that the 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 work that had already been done here in early childhood and the reputation, as well as the community of um people in education, healthcare, and social services coming together to support um, children in the earliest years was all appealing. And um, certainly the leadership of um, 
Superintendent Gist, uh, who for me really signaled that if you do early childhood work in Tulsa, there's an opportunity to make sure that high quality education extends um, through the early grades. Um, Mr. Kaiser has been committed to early learning for at least 20 years. Do you, do you know where that commitment came from? Well, um, I, a lot of it does have to do with what we know from brain research over the past few decades. Um, George Kaiser has a passion for ensuring all children, regardless of where they happen to be born or in what circumstances, have an opportunity to succeed. And he looked at the brain research and saw that so much is happening um, starting at birth and through that those early years of a child's life that are going to um, influence all the opportunities that the child has and the ability for that child to realize their potential. So I really think that was a driving force for him in committing to early childhood um, in, in a lot of different ways. So you um, you don't limit your work at Kaiser just to um, pre-K. You really look birth to age eight. Is that right? Yes. And actually preconception through age eight, um, we do work with increasing access to an education about contraception in order to support healthy births as well. And this was also one of the things that drew me here. Pre-K is essential. It is necessary and it is insufficient. Um, if we really want to tackle intergenerational poverty, we have to look at the whole continuum. So the exciting thing about the work that we're doing now um, that we just embarked on starting the this summer is that it crosses over all those early years and um, the it involves um, education, health and social services and includes work directly with parents and caregivers, as well as with um, adults serving children, such as teachers. It seems like an appropriately expansive strategy, given what we've learned about uh, the lasting impacts of trauma um, mm -hmm. that often start even uh, in utero, right? Then um, yep. before before birth, we now know that um, healthy pregnancy and those early years are really formative. Yes, and we are fortunate here in Tulsa to have um, a series of interventions that um, that are supporting children and you know, even before they're born uh, and their parents and caregivers to ensure they start off healthy, they enter kindergarten ready, um, they're raised in safe and nurturing homes, and ultimately they are successful by third grade based on math, literacy, and social-emotional um, skills. Right. And that, to me, is very exciting to look at how a child is progressing in a more comprehensive way than I think has traditionally been looked at. And as an early childhood educator, I just saw firsthand um, the power of looking holistically at a child and giving that child the tools that child needs in order to truly realize his or her potential. So from... Um policy standpoint, how do you square this comprehensive approach with um, the funding required to go with it? So this is a Western state funded mm -hmm. at much lower levels than you, you were used to in New York City. Uh, what's your view on how um, communities, how states uh, should, should fund really comprehensive early learning? 
Well, um, one of the pillars of our work in the birth through eight strategy is, uh, you know, as a private foundation uh, to engage with the public sector um, in order to identify opportunities to make this work scalable and sustainable. So we are in the very early stages of this work. Um, I think Stephen could speak to what it has looked like for us to work with um, the state here on things like um, additional supports for childcare programs um, through a matching system. I think that we've been quite successful in figuring out how to um, leverage private dollars, but link it to public. And he would have more information about that. I'm thinking of OECP, and I'm forgetting what it stands for now, but he would know more. Um, and certainly there there are some challenges, um, but I think having this eye towards partnership, uh, public-private partnership, is um, has has made, allowed us to make progress in the past. And we're also um, looking at all levels of um, support and support look what and what support looks like in different ways, not just funding, but potential policy changes that could make it easier to have a more integrated, seamless continuum birth through age eight. So what's your investment in, um, agenda? How do you uh, invest? In, are you focused on on quality? experiments on research on policy is it a portfolio approach it is a combination of interventions we are trying to look um, holistically uh, at what's needed and what's needed in terms of service delivery evaluation date and data tracking and so um, we have invested a lot in a couple dozen programs and services preconception through age eight that are offering um, care and education to children, parents, caregivers, um, and 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 women at different points along the continuum. We are also investing a lot in uh, strengthening key partner organizations, mm-hmm. uh, and so we're really working with. Uh, a research partner and our programs and services to identify strengths and areas of, in need of support. And then we have um, we're, we have resources to put towards that. Uh, we are implementing what we call navigation supports, uh, which really for us ties together programs and services to make it easier for a parent or caregiver to connect with services that um, meet the needs and the desires they have for their children. Um, and so there's investment there. because we, we think it's one thing to have programs and services out there. It's another thing for families to actually um, connect with them and connect with the right program and service at the right time. So those are some of the things. Uh, and we're also investing in a shared uh, data system, uh, as well as uh, through our work with Impact Tulsa and others, uh, having ways to have data in real time to inform continuous improvement. I think to me, one of the the most um, promising pieces of the work that BEST is doing in, in Impact Tulsa and other organizations in the community 
is this alignment piece, because as I hear uh, Sophia talking about uh, the interventions, I think the, the one thing that we have to point out is intentionality around those interventions um, and really aligning uh, those um, interventions and where are the handoffs in the system. So not thinking of it as, as, as siloed interventions, but as a continuum of support services that are needed across a system. Um, and then really intentionally having uh, conversations with one another to say, this is what I do and this is what I do best. This is what I don't do. What organization does and, and how do we align that system so that the, the handoff is seamless um, because one organization can't do it all nor should they probably do it all and so I think um, you know we have in Tulsa because of the size of Tulsa and the collective uh, kind of um, culture here we have that unique opportunity to really align those systems without things getting in the way we really understand that without that um, we're not going to get to scale, you know, on these interventions. Um, and, and the more that you align them and the more you really understand um, how they work together, the more scale you can create. Um, I think a really great example of that is the work that, Jess, uh, that Jessica's doing on continuous improvement with the best partners. And I'll mm -hmm. let her explain a little bit about that. So we brought, um, in partnership with BEST, we brought um, Columbia University, the Center for Public Research and Leadership, to Tulsa last week. And we um, invited partners from across the entire BEST continuum, from preconception all the way to age eight, um, to learn how to not only learn a continuous improvement model that we can all use the same language and tools and processes from, but also facilitation tips and how to facilitate that with others in the community. So now we have 22 leaders in Tulsa that are um, prepared to use this improvement model within their own organizations, use it cross-sector, um, across organizations, and then sort of a train-the-trainer approach. Um, Impact Tulsa is one of the organizations, along with My Health, that will help to train other partners within the best continuum um, with this continuous improvement model and approach. And um, we'll all be able to use the same um, the same language in Tulsa to work together. So if there's a continuous uh, improvement model, you must have a shared sense of what good early learning and care looks like. Can you describe that? Well, the continuous improvement is d the model we've chosen can really fit um, within any public policy issue. Um, I would say there are certain th um, elements of early care and education that you would see in a lot of different programs. Um, we you, you would like us to describe what those practices are. Yeah. Um, a big emphasis is on the quality of interactions between the adults and the children um, in order to support a child's social emotional development, adjustment to school, as well as um, their education in other areas. So I think we know a lot from the research about the importance of uh, talking and developing language through the interaction, as well as the importance of um, starting very early uh, at birth, the attachment uh, between that adult and that child and the way that even nonverbal cues and the, um, the way that the adult responds to the child and engages um, 
you know, with their eyes and, and how they hold the child, that has a that has a big impact on um, what happens later on. Um, so I, I think we have work to do in terms of aligning everyone birth through eight around a shared vision on what quality early care and education looks like. And I think from our work in the past 10 years, especially on this quality of interactions and importance of language uh, development piece, uh, we have a, a good foundation to work off of. I think also when we define continuous improvement, uh, we're defining it in a way that is a discovery model. Um, and so a part of the continuous improvement process is discovering what those best practices are mm-hmm. um, and using the model to actually design an intervention or design, uh, a, uh, identify a um, problem of practice, design an intervention, and then test that intervention, and then scale that uh, intervention if it works. So it's not just about um, you know measuring what you already know works. It's about testing what might work mm-hmm. and improve the system. Right. And so I think that that's a, that's a really smart use of continuous improvement. But what we realized early on in our work as Impact Tulsa is that we don't speak a common language across data. Um, what's the view here of home care, home and family care? How do we... Do you advocate for that? How do you... Are you talking about child, home-based child care? Yes. And how do you, um, for families that choose some form of that, are mm-hmm. there strategies for um, improving the quality of, of home and family care? Well, um, definitely there are a lot of children in those settings in these critical years. Uh, we are in the early stages of exploring different ways that we can intervene and support for those settings. Because one of the things about BEST is we want to reach children, uh, especially uh, children who are living in poverty, mm-hmm. uh in wherever they are in those early years. And we we do see parents and caregivers uh, and other adults who are interacting with children on a regular basis as um, critical to supporting that child's development. So one example of a way that we've branched out um, sort of add on to our center-based care is through pediatricians' offices, um, through programs like Healthy Steps and Reach Out and Read. Um, we, we do home visitation. Uh, we support home visitation um, through Parent-Child Center of Tulsa. Uh, they're implementing Family Connects here based on Durham Connects. And um, this other piece about home-based childcare is sort of the next area that we're exploring. I'm actually going to one uh, center tomorrow as part of that due diligence effort, but we've also been looking around the country to see what's out there. Uh, Jessica, do you you would like to see an, an even higher percentage of um, children in quality preschool? Yes, this you, is our. I think you have a relatively high rate today, don't you? Yeah, so um, we have about one in three students don't attend public pre-K right now. So, yes, it's relatively high. Um, the kindergarten students, about 34% of the kindergarten students this year did not attend public pre-K. Mm-hmm. We don't have numbers on private pre-K, but we do have all of the public numbers, including um, mm-hmm. CAP and Educare that were mentioned as well. as a couple other public pre-Ks as well. What, uh, what would be a good goal for uh, a community? Well, Would you like to see that at 80 or 90%? You know, I'd love to see it at 80 or 90 percent. Um, once we um, 
do the efforts to get the students to enroll. There's also uh, capacity issues and class size um, and capacity within each building and determining how to work with the school district to increase those as well, um, especially once you get to the high percentages that we already at. Um, so there is some work to be done in that area as well as um, getting students to actually enroll. We're targeting specific neighborhoods that have low pre-K enrollment in Tulsa to specific areas of Tulsa, um, primarily focused with partners starting Friday. This Friday, we're bringing together several different community partners um, to work through the model that we just talked about um, in our continuous improvement work to work through a problem of practice and tools to align them to um, bring pre-K enrollment as one of their their priorities in their organizations. We also, other than bringing the partners together to do the work collectively, we um, have several partners that are doing the work alongside us for our pre-K campaign. So it's our third year for a public awareness campaign, but we're really ramping that up this year um, more than we have done in the past. So we have um, commercials and um, flyers and posters and all of the, the things that everyone does, but we also um, are implementing a parent advocate, uh, parent leadership component this this uh, spring. <laughs> um, and so we are hiring parents from the communities to help uh, with canvassing efforts and um, to help spread the word about the value of pre-K. Um, we also have partnerships with the health department and data sharing agreements and MOUs with the health department because one of the, the main barriers for pre-K enrollment um, is knowing where the kids are. So we have birth records and then we don't have anything until they're in kindergarten. So we don't really know the percentage of kids that we're reaching until they become kindergartners then we can look backwards. Let's um, wrap up talking about talent development and uh, how we make sure that uh, you've got a, a a great pipeline of uh, early childhood workers and uh, teachers. How do we how do we train and um, compensate them well enough? What are your thoughts there, Sophia? Yeah, I mean, I think from a pipeline perspective, there are all different strategies to be used. One one of them that has uh, grown in uh, Tulsa over the years has been a partnership with Teach for America. I actually hired someone on my team who had been a first grade teacher in North Tulsa and came to Tulsa with Teach for America. And her husband is now leading one of the big charter schools here as well. Um, and so I think that's one. Um, and uh we do have programs to, to help teachers gain their certification. Uh, and my, my colleague, uh, Annie Van Hinken, could speak more to this, but um, we have invested uh, in order to uh, support people who are even currently working to get their early childhood certification. So sometimes, I mean, I, I saw this in New York as well. There are people who have been working in early childhood who, who need support, who are passionate about the early years, who need support to get their degrees. Mm -hmm. And um, we're fortunate here in Tulsa to have um, an early childhood institute at OU and um, a program through Tulsa Community College that can give credits to get someone on their way to get an early childhood um, teaching certificate. So I think that's all been positive. Um, and then in terms of training and development, I mean, I think there's a lot higher ed can do. And I think the experience that teachers get when they're actually in the classroom and ongoing professional development, uh, similar to K-12, is key. And, and really understanding um, both child development and um, 
and concrete strategies to uh, meet kids, every kid where they are um, in all respects, um, math, language, literacy, physical, social, emotional development um, in order to move them forward. I, I also think that family engagement while it's always important, uh, has a special place in early childhood uh, because this is the entry point for families into their child's, you know, um, education system. And so training teachers and supporting them in ways to build relationships with families is really important both for the child and for laying a foundation of ongoing fa uh, family involvement throughout the child's time in our schools. Great. And I will say early on when when we were uh, adopting, uh, you know, more universal programs, uh, George Kaiser Family Foundation stepped up at that time, too. They have funded uh, OU's program in, in um, early childhood. They fund individual students through that program. My niece actually is a graduate um, through funding from the George Kaiser Family Foundation uh, to uh, get her undergraduate degree in early childhood. Um, so they have a commitment uh, to working in the schools for a certain period of time once they actually gain their degree uh, as paid for by George Kaiser Family Foundation. That's been a really, really uh, great pipeline. And then the other thing is is our opportunity here in, in Tulsa to learn from Educare and CAP and their model for professional development. So Anise mm -hmm. also worked for the CAP program um, at Rosa Parks Elementary. And it was amazing to me how much professional development that CAP actually provides and Educare provides to their teachers. Because, you know, it, a lot of it does start from the adults. Um, adults model, you know, behavior. Your adults, um, you know, have uh, being able to really train the adults just makes it uh, the environment so much easier, you know, for the kids um, and, and so much more enriching for the kids. And we have a, a wonderful model for that right here that we can expand into the public um, school sector because we have great models for it already. Uh, for a different community that wanted to learn from Tulsa, they came here on a field trip, where would you take mm -hmm. them? I definitely would take them to the Educare sites, I'd take them uh, to the CAP sites, but I'd also take them to some of the public school sites mm -hmm. because we have wonderful models. We have dual, we have um, blended models. So we have our public education that's taking uh, educators who are taking advantage of those wonderful programs here, CAP and Educare. So we have school districts, for example, Union Public Schools, CAP. CAP actually delivers um, in their public school uh, some of the preschool um, education. Same thing for TPS. Um, mm -hmm. So we have a, a blended model of, of this private and uh, public partnership mm -hmm. again. We have it in funding. We also have it in practice. Mm -hmm. Sophia, for an, an advocate in another community and they were thinking about where to get started, uh, what advice would you have? Well, um, first, I want them to understand and, and really internalize the importance of this work, um, even if they've already understood it. I think there's power as an advocate, someone pushing for change in early childhood to really um, have the the brain development um, insights just nailed down and to be able to speak very clearly about how investments and um, strategic approaches in the early years can um, make a huge difference for children and broader communities. And then I would 
encourage them to look at a place like Tulsa to see, to understand the history of how it all came together, the direction of where we're going and lessons learned. And, um, you know, I think we we all with very complicated initiatives like this have learned a lot from successes and and mistakes along the way. And um, we now have, you know, over a decade um, of of work in this area that we would love to, you know, share with others and, and to help them because in the end, we want to make sure as many kids as possible benefit from high quality um, education, care and other supports in the early years. Are there online resources that people can look to to learn more? gkff.org slash best. And, and for the pre-K enrollment campaign, there's also a, a great website, mm-hmm. right? Prektulsa.com. Okay, we'll include all those in the show notes. Any any other resources online that, uh, that are great um, for getting up to speed, learning more? Um, not at the top of my head. I mean, we tried on the best website to include some uh, additional resources. Uh, Stephen may have some more ideas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and other, I mean, there's like, if they want to learn about brain science in the early years, certainly Harvard Center for the Developing Child um, is a useful resource. If they want to learn about preschool stats across mm-hmm. the country. Um, NEAR's a website with the preschool yearbook is very helpful. Mm-hmm. That's N-I-E- E-R, National Institute for Early Education mm-hmm. Research out of trends. Rutgers. Child Trends. And Child Trends. Um, we're working yeah. with them as our yeah. research partner. Thank you all. It's, uh, it's a great model for the rest of the country uh, to learn from. So we appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. During the podcast, Kathy mentioned the CAP Tulsa program. Following his visit, Tom spoke with Stephen Dow, who leads the 11-campus CAP Tulsa network that combines high-quality early childhood education with innovative family services. Highly skilled CAP Tulsa teachers take a whole-child approach, building in social and emotional learning and mental health supports across a well-designed curriculum. Parents have access to education and employment support, which also helps stabilize the economic unit around the child and reduces mobility and chronic absenteeism. There is also a home visit program that helps parents be the first and best teacher for their child. CAP Tulsa and other local programs have focused on quality interactions, language development, and social and emotional learning. In addition to hundreds of dedicated teachers, local foundations, and a regional champion, Impact Tulsa made Tulsa a great place to grow up. A big thanks to the team in Tulsa for sharing their story with us today. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the Getting Smart podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more things on innovations and learning, visit gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart podcast, this is Caroline and Jessica signing off.